All right, last week, last week I taught the kids a new word, squander or squandering. It's what the prodigal son did with the inheritance his father gave him. He wasted it on sinful pleasures. It's something Paul made clear we cannot do if we expect to be able to pay back the debt of love that we owe. Well, last Sunday afternoon, while driving with my grandsons to my favorite fishing pond, I quizzed them about the morning sermon and squandering in particular. We talked about what it meant and how we shouldn't squander what God has given to us or even simply squander the opportunities we have to share the love of God with others. Carter got really excited about it and declared he couldn't wait to impress his English teacher by using the word in class. (laughs) That wasn't exactly what I had in mind, but at least he had a new word to use and hopefully think about. Then on Tuesday morning, before he left for school, I got the following call. Grandpa, what was that word I'm supposed to use? Well, Carter, I've got another word for you today. Scruples. Scruples. According to the first definition that pops up on Google, a scruple is a feeling of doubt or hesitation with regard to the morality or propriety of a course of action. After noting that it comes from the Latin for a small stone and can simply refer to a very small quantity, Webster defines it as a doubt arising from difficulty in deciding what is right, proper, and so forth. And yes, we're going to be talking about scruples this morning. But why? Why should we have to talk about deciding what is right and proper? Doesn't the Bible tell us what is right and what is wrong? Well, yes and no. There are definitely some things the Bible spells out as being wrong, as being sinful. We have no difficulty deciding about these. But there are also many issues about which the Bible does not speak. And if the Bible doesn't speak specifically on an issue, that issue is left in the realm of opinion. Everyone is free to make up his or her mind on the matter. Now, obviously, not all are going to come to the same conclusions on such matters. And that creates a problem for most of us because we have a hard time handling differences of opinion. Well, That's the problem Paul deals with in our text for today. Handling differences of opinion within the church. And he gives us three guiding principles that should direct us in matters of opinion. Don't reject your brother. Don't judge your brother, 
and don't offend your brother. He begins by saying, in effect, don't reject your brother. We're in Romans chapter 14. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. In spite of differences of opinion, Christians must accept one another. And in this instance, Paul says we should accept the one who is weak in faith. Now, he's not talking about a man who is weak in the faith, who doesn't know what to believe doctrinally. And he's not talking about someone who is weak in faith toward God, who doesn't trust him as he should. He's talking about someone who doesn't know what to believe about a particular activity, who has doubts about the rightness or wrongness of an act. He's talking about a man with scruples. Again, the weakness in faith is only in regard to the activity in question, not toward God, nor in doctrine. And it has little, if anything, to do with a person's spiritual maturity. Paul is not suggesting that some Christians are spiritually weak because they hold certain opinions. He's merely distinguishing between two groups in the church. One group believed, had faith, that it was all right to eat anything. They were probably the Christians of Gentile origin. The other group wasn't sure about that. They didn't have faith that it was all right to eat everything, especially meats of unknown origin. So when in doubt, they stuck with vegetables. And they were most likely of Jewish origin. Well, Paul makes it clear that neither group should reject the other. Those who felt it was all right to eat anything weren't to look down on those who felt they couldn't, thinking them to be immature or lacking an understanding of Christian liberty. And those who felt it was wrong to eat meat shouldn't condemn those who did. Since God hadn't spoken directly on this matter, it was to be left in the realm of opinion. God had left it up to individual believers to decide what they thought he wanted them to do about it. However, since some doubted the propriety of it, it did become a questionable activity for Christians of the first century. Now, I do find it interesting that the New Testament only mentions three such questionable activities. Apparently, the early Christians made an issue of only three questionable things. And Paul mentions all three in several of his letters in Corinthians, Galatians, Colossians, and here in Romans. The issues that bothered them were observing special days, 
drinking wine, and eating meat. I think you can see how much progress we've made in 20 centuries. You know, our list is much longer, and it keeps changing. You know, the smoking, dancing, and card playing of yesterday have been replaced by immigration, climate change, and gun control. But all these things are or have been issues about which Christians disagree and all too often over which they divide. Paul's word about such things is quite simply, accept one another. These things belong in the realm of opinion. So we are to grant one another the liberty to have their own opinion on these matters even an opinion that differs from ours. Now, there was a slogan that was used by founders of the Restoration Movement. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. We need to heed that. There are some areas where the Bible does not speak. And in those areas, we are not to speak authoritatively. We can express our opinion on them, but we have to make sure it is expressed as nothing more than our opinion. Now, obviously there are some things about which we are to speak authoritatively. Some things are always wrong, no matter the circumstances. It's always wrong to steal. It's always wrong to lie. Sexual immorality of any variety is always wrong. Drunkenness is always wrong. Malicious gossip is always wrong. Jealousy and bitterness and slander and a host of other things that we find condemned in Scripture are always wrong. There's no room for opinion here. They're all wrong. The Bible says so. But the Bible does not address every activity. And some things we wonder about didn't even exist in the first century. And there are some things that may not be wrong in and of themselves, but since they tend to lead to things that are wrong, we question the wisdom of engaging in them. But even these things, God has left in the realm of opinion. And that is where they must stay. Since God accepts people who come down on different sides of such matters, so must we. We are never to reject a brother because his opinion in matters of opinion differ from our own. Neither are we to judge him. And that brings us to Paul's second principle. Don't judge your brother. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats, 
does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then let each one of us give account of himself to God. We are not to judge one another in matters of opinion. Now, that is not to say we never tell someone what they're doing is wrong. If God has said it's wrong, we have an obligation to share with them that God has judged that activity and it is wrong. That's not judging on our part. That's simply informing someone of God's judgment. And we have an obligation to do that. What we're not allowed to do is to pass judgment on an activity God hasn't judged. We might question the wisdom of someone's participation in a particular activity. We might even discuss it with them, but we cannot judge them for doing something God has not judged. Now, that's not to say that everything is okay if God hasn't said it's not. God will judge us for the decisions we make, even in matters of opinion. But it's God's place to judge us in those matters, not our brothers. Paul says it's not our place to judge the servant of another. The master is the one who judges the servant, not some outside observer. The Lord is able to communicate to each servant what he wants from him. And if he does what his master desires, he will stand approved by the master, whether we approve or not. And there are some matters that are quite simply neither right nor wrong in and of themselves. The only thing that makes them right or wrong is the motive in which they are done. You know, one man observes Christmas because for him it is a celebration of the birth of Jesus. Another feels it's wrong to celebrate Christmas. Because he thinks it's been polluted by pagan origins or crass commercialism. Both are right if the reason for making their decision is motivated by a desire to honor Christ. And only God can judge the heart. We certainly cannot. Paul also gives an example of dietary restrictions. One man thanks God for his vegetables. The other thanks him for a pork chop. As long as they're both thankful, and they are both convinced that what they are doing is pleasing to the Lord, 
who are we to pass judgment? Paul even goes so far as to say that not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Now, I'm not certain, but I think this is Paul's way of saying if we live life to the fullest and do it with gratitude, It's just as acceptable to God as if we deny ourselves every pleasure and do so to honor God. The bottom line is that we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of God and give account of what we did and why. So it's not our place to second-guess our brother and judge his motives when we really have no way of knowing what they are anyway. So in matters of opinion, don't judge your brother. Even if he's doing something you've chosen not to do. And don't hold him in contempt if he chooses not to do something you're convinced a Christian can do. Even if his scruples begin to infringe Upon your freedom. And that brings us to the third principle. Don't offend your brother. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. But rather determine this. Not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your your food him for whom Christ dies. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, this may very well be the hardest principle to accept. We may have no doubts about a particular activity. We may feel perfectly justified in doing something, but be forced to reevaluate our involvement in it because it offends our brother and might cause him to stumble. Paul says nothing is unclean in itself. 
But if a man thinks something is unclean, to him it is. And we would not want to do anything that would encourage a brother to enter into an activity on the matter and cause him to stumble. Now, even though we may have perfect liberty in Christ, to enter into what is seen by some as a questionable activity, we may have to give up that right for the sake of our brother. Because love limits our liberty. We may have every right to participate in things that we feel conscious free to do. But we won't do them if we feel they have a real potential of becoming a stumbling block to someone else. Not if we're walking according to love. Because love limits in this respect. You know, the greatest right we have as Christians is to give up our rights for someone else. Isn't that what Jesus did? He gave up his rights for us. So we can never insist on exercising our rights at our brother's expense. Besides, are these things really all that important? Paul says not. The kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking, pro or con. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I had a good friend in Bible college, a roommate for two years, who decided to give up on the ministry. And the last thing he said to me is he said, Rick, you don't have to worry about me. I'll never smoke or drink. When he said that, I got worried. I got worried. That's not what it's all about. That's not what it's all about. Now, obviously, we've done a great disservice to the kingdom if we've projected to the world that Christianity is nothing more than giving up worldly pleasures. But it's even worse to become so libertarian that we lead a brother into activities that violate his conscience and therefore cause him to sin. So we do pay attention to our brother's opinions, even in matters of opinion. Because our liberty, to a large extent, is limited by our brother's conscience. And even those things that are perfectly acceptable become evil if they are done with no regard for what they might do to a brother or sister. That's why Paul says it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. In 1 Corinthians, he goes even so far as to write, If eating meat makes my brother stumble, then I will never eat meat again as long as I live. Now, that's not a mandate for vegetarianism. But under the right circumstances, it could be a picture of love in action. 
It's putting my brother's needs above my desires. And that is the basis on which we should live as Christians. Now, as I said, this is probably the hardest principle to follow in matters of opinion. But then again, matters of opinion are, in and of themselves, harder to handle than those things that are spelled out for us in Scripture. That's why it's essential that we surrender our all to the Lordship of Christ before we attempt to resolve those issues that fall into the realm of opinion. Have you surrendered your all to him? One way to tell is to check out your attitude in this area of opinions. Do you reject your brother if he disagrees with you? Do you judge him if he feels free to do things you don't do? Do you gladly give up freedoms if their exercise is causing a problem for your brother? If you've not surrendered in this area of opinions, I encourage you to do so today. 